Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondercheck, coach at Top Step Training, and I'm joined by Marilyn. Hey, everybody, Marilyn Chakota. You can find everything with me at mcc.coach. Happy to be here with you, Jesse. Yeah, it is great to be here. Um, I felt like I had to do that intro extremely formally because you had me way off script a few minutes ago. So try to hone it in and get back on task. Um, <laughs> Congrats to you. You just finished another weekend of racing. Oof. You know, I started this little race stint in the fall. I hadn't raced in like a year. Well, I did the half Ironman being in a year, but I hadn't done any bike races in like a year. So I took, there was a whole bunch of bike races in the fall here. And I was like, I'm going to do all of them. I'm going to do all the, all the things. <laughs> and I signed up for all. So I started with Wilcox. It was like Wilcox, Chino, the TT. And then this very last one is a big thing and big deal in Tucson. If you're part of the community L tour, and um, I know it's not advertised as a race, but holy man, I mean, you know, from being a local here, it's a race. And especially that first, if you're in the elite group and platinum group, it's absolutely a race. There's you pin numbers on, there's a start line and finish line, there's prizes at the end. So it's, it's full on and um, it's quite a spectacle for sure. And so my tank was pretty empty and I knew it. I wasn't even sure actually if I should start because the tank was pretty empty after the time trial. I put pretty much everything I had out there the two weeks before. And I was having quite a bit of trouble recovering in between. And I thought, man, I don't know if I have it in me to go as hard as I can for a hundred miles again on the weekend. But, you know, if you sign up for something and you've committed to a group of people, I think regardless, you should show up and give it what you have. And that's all you can do. And even if you end up just rolling around, in the end, then, then, you know, you've made that commitment. So you should show up. So I did that and it went okay. I, the tank was empty. I stayed in the front group up until Pistol Hill, one of the climbs that went, the, the main group made it really hard, which, you know, it's a real elite group of riders, a lot, a lot of pro males, some really good professional females, only two women made that split actually. And I ended up in the second group and worked with that group. We ended up going through the 102 miles in four hours and I was eighth woman. So not terrible for how, for how terrible I felt. It wasn't too terrible. <laughs> and I, I got to ride with some, you know, on a really cool team. One of the local guys that I've known forever, he put a little team together with some of my friends, which was really cool. And they're all really great riders. There was me and another female himself, and then three other really good local riders that are kind of one, two type guys. And, and we had a lot of fun. So that was, it was cool. It was great to be a part of a great part of the community. And I definitely emptied the tank. We were joking before I came in from that. And I just put my stuff down and basically it was out for the night, slept like 12 hours straight. And I was like, man, I found, I found where I emptied the tank for sure. So I'm, I'm ready for a bit of downtime and no racing for a little bit for me. Nice. Well, welcome to the off season. I've been there for a while now, but it's uh, it's good to have you. Good to have you on the side of the fence here. I compacted a whole season into like two months and went for it. I was like, I'm going in hot, getting it all out, and then I'm leaving the party. So that was that's been my last little while. But yeah, you got it. So you just told me you got a mountain bike, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I've been uh, mixing things up a little bit and riding the mountain bike and leading leading some mountain bike group rides, which is, which has been super fun. Um, I was doing it on a gravel bike before it is much more fun on a mountain bike. And those of you who have ridden with me in the past might know that my bike skills are not the best in the bunch. 
So it gives me a chance to practice, you know, my downhill and my, my cornering and, you know, working on some, some more high speed stuff that kind of a, a lower risk because I'm, I'm on a mountain bike. And, and we have this stuff here. It's a little bit different than the cactus and the rocks in Tucson. We have dirt. So if I fall, I just land in dirt, just, you know, maybe, maybe a tree, but trees are actually a lot softer than rocks and concrete. So, cactus. <laughs> cactus. So yeah. Cat- not as prickly <laughs> everything's yeah. prickly in the desert but you know that's yeah, really cool I mean what a, what a great thing for handling the off season and and the winter there right like now you're we're so spoiled here in Tucson that we have these phenomenal winters I mean we we pay for it in the summer with the heat that we've got to deal with but we have these phenomenal winters where we get to to ride a lot in great conditions but for the majority of people and you're part of that group now winters are rough you know it's cold it's dark there's snow and so I think, you know, it's, I'd love to hear you, you experienced it for the first time last year. And it sounded like you did a lot of trainer sessions, maybe a little bit of outdoor riding last year. And then it's obvious you thought about that and went ahead and made the purchase for a mountain bike. Walk us through that a little bit and, you know, help people even with their thoughts on how they're going to, how they're going to maybe handle maybe purchases or their thoughts going into their winter season as it comes in a bit yeah well so last year i started (laughs) experiencing this in the beginning of january so i wasn't even here for all of winter i was kind of here for was really more like the tail end of winter last year and yeah didn't didn't ride outside much at all in january and was on the trainer which you know i don't mind being on the trainer a little bit at all but but you know when I'm not riding outside at all. And, and that's, that's, that's a lot of trainer time to stack up. And yeah, I knew going in to this winter that, you know, winter kind of started end of October. And so we you know, it's already getting pretty cold, already pretty rainy and wet. And, and yeah, like riding in the roads when it's rainy, wet and cold, isn't super fun. I mean, honestly, it's not a lot of fun to ride in the rain in any conditions, but when you're getting road spray on you, and cars are spraying you, you know, that that's a lot of water coming from a lot of places, especially when you're going fast too. So, you know, I, I, I knew I wanted to be able to ride more outside and I know there's great trails here because I ran a lot of the trails last summer and I'm still running the trails. So I knew that was an opt-in and the team that I coached for also does mountain bike rides. And so I knew where they were going and, and I knew that I was going to get a chance and people to ride with, with them. And, so yeah, I was just kind of weighing the, the pros and cons and it just seemed like a really worthwhile investment for me to be able to get out on on the roads or on, on the trails and be able to ride outside in any any conditions. And you know, I bought myself a pair of rain pants, which are pretty awesome. Okay, and nice. uh, <laughs> you know, pretty serious rain jacket. And yeah, so I'm I'm all set up to be able to commute in the rain and uh, I threw some like some forties on my my commuter. So it's, uh, it's pretty stable in the wet, rainy, snowy, icy conditions. And then I have my mountain bike to kind of tackle the trails. And, and yeah, there's a, a pretty good variety of trails around here. There's, you know, some flat trails that go along the river. And then there's a lot of, I guess, small mountains that I can climb within a pretty short radius. So I can do a lot of different stuff right from the doorstep to keep keep riding in the winter interesting and fun and you know like i'm going to still do some trainer work but it'll allow me to 
kind of save some of that mental energy for when I need it and not get burned out from riding hard on the trainer in, you know, December with what what is looking like it's going to be a long season coming up. I, um, it's, but you know, the climbing is also for another reason too, because as we were talking about earlier, I just got into Swiss man, which. Yeah, yeah. dude. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. So one of my athletes, we were had a little email thread going back and forth and they had this burning desire to do Swiss man, really epic race. And Jesse was like, all right. And roped into this and, oh man, the, unfortunately he didn't, he didn't get in, but you did. So now you got it. I was teasing. You got a race for two, like, and you said, what they racing for a pregnant lady. <laughs> um, so yeah, racing for two. Um, but yeah, so I am really sorry that I'm going to be doing it without him, but I am very excited to do it. It's, it's really close to here. It looks really hard and it's definitely kind of, I guess, reignited my, my passion for training, you know, I've been doing this a long time and you can get kind of stale doing the same races, same type of thing year after year for, you know, 15 years now. And so, you know, in talking about this race and looking at how hard it was, it's kind of like feels like that first Ironman feeling where you're like, Oh, I like need to train so I can finish this. Not like I need to train to, to finish this fast. Like I might not actually make it to the finish line if I'm not prepared. And so that's, that's a cool feeling. I haven't had that feeling for a long time. So it, it's, it's motivating and it's exciting. And, you know, I obviously have goals beyond finishing, you know, I would like to try and win the race. Um, you know, there's no prize money or anything like that. So it's not like, uh, uh, but it is a race with some amount of prestige in Switzerland. So it'd be great to try and win that, or at least try and be competitive, which, which means I've got to start training. So I like mountain bike now to get ready for it. Yeah. And that's the cool thing. Like, we, you know, we're talking about this time of year is uh, people are looking at picking their races for next year and loosely starting to plan and those kinds of things. Cause you got to, right. You got to plan for work and family and um, you know, the races fill up and all of those kinds of things. So the planning needs to start to happen. And I actually, you know, talked about this not that long ago with all of my team is that it really, as a coach, I don't like to pick people's race calendar for them. I can help guide them on what might suit them well. And I can definitely help them make the right decisions based on, you know, their climate and what patterns we've seen in the past, what suits them as an athlete, that kind of stuff. But exactly what you said is that it has to put a fire in your belly because you're, you're the one that's going to have to train for it. And when training gets hard and it gets um, a bit boring and like you get into those winter months and all those things. If you know that you signed up for something that, I mean, and same for me is like, it's exciting. It puts a fire in your belly and maybe it even scares you a little bit. That's going to make you keep pressing on when you're a little bit tired or you're, you know, you don't really feel like training or those kinds of things are in the really, you know, thick of the winter and you're really far away from your race. You're like, like you just said, you're like, holy man, like this thing kind of scares the crap out of me. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have to be motivated for it. And when you've been doing it, like you said, we've been doing it a long time. It's harder and harder to find those types of things. I found that in the six hour TT, I was like, man, I've been racing bikes since 1999. I've never done something like that. Like it was just this totally different format. And I had no idea on what that was going to be like and how it was going to feel. And and so I was excited about it and it made me, you know, it, it put a fire in my belly and gave me some focus and, you know, I really kind of went after it. And so I think that's fun. Right. And as people start to pick their race seasons and start to snoop around of what might excite them, that's like just such an important part of it. You know, in other words, 
I mean, some people like to repeat the same races over and over again, which is great too, because then that is what puts a fire in their belly is trying to improve their time or performance on the same courses and get after that. So it's really like personal to you. And other times when you've been, you know, maybe you've repeated the same thing over and over and it's just become habit and routine and you're not, you're not really excited about it anymore. You're just sort of going through the motions. It's time to, like you say, look at something that's like, oh, wow, this is, this is super cool. I really want to wake up and get after this. So cool stuff. Yeah. And you know, the, the approach that I'm taking is kind of marrying those two, or I'm going to do some of the same races, but also going to throw in a couple of very different races like this. So two weeks after this race is challenge raw. And you, know, you can tell me whether or not that's a good or bad idea after your two week race experience. Um, but, but yeah, I, my, my hope is, is that, you know, I'm going to be scared enough to train really hard and get really fit for Swiss man. And then I can kind of just roll that over into hopefully a pretty quick Ironman two weeks later. So awesome. Well, we'll you be can, excited. Can... To see how, we'll be excited to see how all that goes, and we'll we'll be excited to hear maybe updates as you go, documenting the training that goes into that, and and managing that kind of training through the winter. I'm sure people will be really interested to hear that. Yeah, that is. Uh, I I can try and do that. Um, and one of the things I'm really trying to focus on right now, while I am excited, is is about kind of pacing myself and and not getting too excited too soon that's a problem that i occasionally have where i want to do all the training right now and you know especially if we have a nice day here sun shining but um but yeah trying to trying to train appropriately so that i can be fit at the right time um that's like a that's actually a really important message right there you know we're coming into thanksgiving week and into the holiday season and for most people the season's ended and i've expressed that in some threads for for my team is that that, hey, don't be worried about letting go of a little fitness right now. And I even actually said those exact words. You need to remember we've got to pace the year. And so, you know, although you don't want to stray too far away from habits and routines and like go flying off a cliff where you do nothing through the whole holiday season, that can be a mistake because the comeback from that just takes too long. So there's this balance between staying connected and keeping moving and maybe what your main focus points will be in this holiday time of year and this time, but letting actually letting the fitness come down just a little bit, not being worried about if you put on a few pounds. I mean, that's even necessary as far as like your immune system and recovery and, you know, being able to lift your performance and what you're able to handle physically and mentally and bring things up a whole nother notch into, into next season. And, and that idea of pacing the year is, it can be hard for people because they either want to just fly off a cliff and go, I feel lost. I'm just going to not do anything. Or they are get, like you say, they get overzealous too early or get uncomfortable with the feeling of uh, not being in race shape at the moment, or, you know, hitting those PRs or hitting those, you know, new, new watt PRs on the bike or new run PRs. And, um, you know, feeling the way that they always feel through the season. And that can be, you know, it can be a challenge this time of year for a lot of people. Yeah, I am definitely one of those people and I do find it challenging. And uh, so I guess what I do find is it is nice for me to try and find something to focus on. And so, you know, and different years has been different things. Like some years it's what it's become more of lately is actually flexibility because it turns out I'm not very flexible anymore. 
But, um, but, you know, there are little things like that where you can say, hey, like I, I can focus on this and try and improve this. So you can still see improvements and you can still say I am making gains, but you want to kind of turn that dial away from like what you might want to see in an actual race build. Because like you said, you're not trying to get in race shape, you know, because you're, you don't want to put that much energy in right now. You want to save some of that. But what, what are the things you can put your kind of like off season energy towards? And again, there could be small things like, you know, I want to be able to like reach behind my head and, and be able to like actually touch somewhere down my spine and not just have it flailing near the back of my head or, you know, some sort of flexibility thing like that. Or it could also be, you know, some small improvement in swim, bike, run, whether it's, you know, swim technique or something you're missing in either the bike or the run. So, yeah, I guess I'd love to steer the conversation in that direction. If you are trying to make off-season improvements and you're looking at one, one of the three, swim, bike, or run, how would you have athletes go about trying to make improvements if they're, say, wanting to focus on start with the swim? Yeah, this time of year, actually, one one opportunity that is there is to do the block training. So, you know, typically through the year, if we have preseason or season training, it's all balanced and geared towards your event. We already know that. We talk about that a lot. And then, you know, we we really emphasize consistency and balance as being a triathlete, right? You want to address all three sports and maybe a little bit of strength training and you know, be very consistent with that to, for continuous improvement. We talk about that a lot too. But another opportunity when you're far out from your race season is some people would be familiar with this train. This term is block training. So if you have a particular weakness or even if it just suits your logistics and your climate where you're at. So for instance, if you're somewhere where it is really wintry and it's really you know, tough to get out the door on your bike, you're not going to be looking at going, okay, well, this is a perfect time to log 300 mile weeks to improve my bike. It just doesn't make sense, right? You know, it's cold, it's wintry, maybe you're going to be on the trainer. It really, really doesn't make sense. So you're going to say, okay, well, this, this, you asked about the swim, this would be a good opportunity to do a, a block where swim is the focus. And you might swim, if you're someone who only swims th three days a week, maybe you increase that to five days a week for a three-week period. Or maybe even you have five days a week, six days a week, seven days a week, increasing over three weeks. And you get the third week, you swim all seven days, and you have like a, a, a target goal at the end of that three weeks. Still maintaining the run, still maintaining, uh, you know, if you're doing a little bit of strength training and obviously doing some trainer sessions to, to keep the bike going. But that block is entirely focused on the swim and you really bring that mileage up and and work on maybe particularly your technique, those kinds of things and get this really focused block. For an advanced swimmer, it might even look something like they do eight sessions in a week and they only do some 20, 30 minute jogs, some core training and two two trainer sessions to just touch on those other sports, but they really, really get deep into their swim training for a few weeks. And that, you know, like I say, it might last two weeks, 10, 10 days, two weeks, three weeks, three weeks would be a long block. Most of them, when they do, you do that kind of stuff is about two weeks long. Um, you know, we even, and that's, I would think specifically for something like that, like the swim, if it's a really big block. So, so I think this, this time of year, there's the opportunity to do that kind of thing. Now, on the flip side, if you live somewhere like, you know, Florida, Arizona, where the weather is really good, and you do have that opportunity to possibly do a big bike block where, 
you know, you can let go a little bit of the other sports and get out there and, and log some 300 mile weeks that you wouldn't normally do. You have the time for it, that kind of thing. So depending on climate, depending on where you live, depending on what your strengths and weaknesses are, you can do these different block training through the holidays, through December. We've talked about it before. I do that December run challenge because that seems to work really well as far as efficiency for people this time of year, throw on the sneakers, run out the door. At least they get their run in every day. And we, we, we create a run block through the month of December, just through pure, you know, I create this challenge to make that, make that happen. So, so yeah, lots of different ways to, to do that. I don't know if I, I got kind of strayed there answering your question, but. <laughs> no, that's good. That was good. I, no, I really, I do like block training and I think it is again, where it's, it's really hard for triathletes to implement because it involves letting go, which is not something that we are best at. And, you know, it's feeling like only running twice a week isn't enough because you're used to running four or five times a week or, or whatever it is. And like being able to do that, I think is a really good skill. And I think that that's where you can actually see those improvements. And, and I do agree. I think that two is kind of like, the the minimum I strive for when I'm doing block training with people and you know obviously it can be very on athlete to athlete but you know if you're touching let's say we're talking about doing a swim block if you're touching the other two sports twice that's usually enough even if it's short that when you go to bring it back up it's still kind of there and you know you're keeping it connected because it is only like a three or four weeks you know if there's like a transition week in there of time where you're you know, you're really dropping off the volume in the other two sports. So in the grand scheme of things, it's not that long of minimal touches in the other sports. So you, and then you'll have plenty of time on the other side before your races to bring it back up, which is kind of why we're talking about this now, right? Is it's, you know, it's still November. So there's still lots of time for people to do, you know, maybe a swim block and then a December run block or something like that before they start going into like, okay, I want to kind of start bringing everything together again. But I, yeah, I, I think that can be a really, really good way to kind of pull up one of the other sports, whether it's a weakness or whether it's like, hey, I want to go into the season with my strength already like at a good, strong point. And then as the season gets rolling, I can focus on the other two. You know, there's kind of a lot of ways you can go about it. I think that your location does play a big role as far as like what makes the most sense logistically. I mean, if you're a professional athlete, then more like what makes the most sense, but you know, if you're an amateur athlete and you have all these other constraints, you know, December is probably not the best time to try and work on your swim because swim is fairly time intensive as far as like logistics. And then also pools are closed a lot in December. So then it gets a lot more challenging. You know, if you're in a different situation, then maybe you could still do it, but it just does become more challenging in December to do something like that. You know, it's still November, maybe beginning December, you can definitely squeeze in a swim block. Um, if you are going to do some blocks, some of the things I do recommend, which you mentioned, is, is getting videotaped. I think it's good to get videoed early on to really get a handle on what you look like in the water. And then, you know, in, you can incorporate some drills or some mindful swimming and some things like that to kind of help you, um, you know, work on your efficiency, especially when you're touching the water more frequently. Um, again, like you talked about, increasing that frequency, which is kind of a key part to, to the block training. And I think that, you know, the, that gives you more time to touch the water and then hopefully have good strokes. So the other thing I like to do this time of year is I like to increase the rest. You know, I, I'm a big fan of like, I'll call them like swimmer sets where you're doing stuff on five seconds rest, 10 seconds rest, and you're doing that fast threshold 
um, kind of work in the pool. But I think this time of year isn't really the time for it. This is the time of year where you want to like back things off and work on swimming really well in the water. So, you know, maybe you're taking 30 seconds rest per 100. Maybe your total yardage is, is down in that session because, you know, say you only have an hour at the pool, you're swimming a little bit less in that hour because you're increasing your rest time, but you're also hopefully touching the water maybe two more times a week than you're used to. So you can kind of, you get it, you get the total volume up through frequency, not through like huge, huge sessions. Um, yeah, I think we had, we had a conversation about that uh, through text at one point that, and, and we kind of both agreed is that there is a cap when you do these blocks, like in particular, something as technical as swimming, that your sessions, it's not just about hammering out a five or six K set day after day. And you get so fatigued that you're taking, you, you made a really good point where you're taking a lot of bad strokes. The whole purpose of this is that the frequency and volume increases and your feel and your ability to hold good technique. And maybe you slow down a little bit, like you say, more rest and you're, you know, swimming is a, it's a frequency technical sport. So for someone who is a really established swimmer and a really good swimmer and has a big base, maybe even comes from a swim background, they might be doing between four and six K sets five days a week in this swim block, or they might get up to that seven or eight sessions where they're doing three to four K sets. That's a lot of swimming, right? But they're doing it all in good strokes and they're doing it well. But for someone who's less experienced or they're not a swim background, background, maybe they don't have as good technique, they can't hold it as long, you're going to be better off to do several 2K sets with lots of rest holding good technique. So it might be, hey, we're going to do the swim block. You're going to swim twice a day, you know, for it might be like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you're going to swim twice a day. And on Tuesday and Thursday, you're going to swim once a day. And those twice a days might only be 1500 meters or 2k. And the other day might be 3k, the days between 3k. So they're not long, but the cumulative good strokes is still the same, a, a big volume increase for an athlete. And so I think depending on the, where, what your background is and where you're at with something as technical as swimming, that's, that's really important to mention. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, um, sorry, I gave you a look there during, during, uh, those big yeah. sunsets because <laughs> it scared me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're a swimmer guy. You remember those days. <laughs> uh, yeah. And you know, I mean, I, to be fair, I did just do a six K set not that long ago and, um, it was broken up pretty well. So it didn't, didn't feel that bad. I had other people around me and, you know, we had a pretty long block of time in the pool to, to get it done. So we weren't having to, to rush through, but, but it is. It is still a long time in the water. And, uh, you know, I definitely brought snacks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the other thing I want to talk about here is if we're, we're zoning in on swimming here, but this time of year, the a really common thing that people will address, which is important, is the strength training. And one thing I think is important and, and the conversation I seem to be having over and over again with people is the to have the confidence that the strength training, if it's important to you right now, it's important to your overall performance as an athlete long-term into next season to let go of how you're going to feel and what your paces and your times and your watts and all that stuff is going to be in the other sports. So again, it's having the ability to see long-term and big picture vision. If you're making an improvement right now by being focused on something, and particularly if you're focused on strength training right now, if that is a change that you needed to, to make in your off season or not some, and make those strength gains, you're going to have to let go of 
possibly like what your bike sessions are going to feel like and look like, what your run paces are going to be and how you feel when you're running, how, you know, how you're going to feel in the water, those kinds of things, because you add strength training in and it's, it's, it's going to have an impact on that. You're going to be sore. You're maybe, you might even put on a couple of pounds of muscle. No problem. That's great. So you're going to feel that on the run that's going to come off in the race season. So don't worry about that. That's maybe necessary right now. You're putting on some lean muscle mass, building up some strength, but the, the hardest, hardest thing mentally for people to to deal with and a conversation I have keep having to say over and over again is yes, your bike sessions are going to feel a lot worse really i mean they're like man i feel like crap on the bike and i'm i'm not hitting anywhere near the watts i normally do for this type of session yes that's ex i have to keep like letting them know yes that's okay that's expected we under you know just let go of that right now if you need to cover up your computer and just go through the session on perceived exertion because you are focused on improving your strength and knowing that that is going to have a long-term benefit towards next year and your season. And so really just being able to logically understand that and understand that that's the focus, whether it be a swim block and you're letting go of the other two a little bit, or it is a run block and you're letting your legs go a little bit on the bike, or you feel like you're sinking the water because you're doing a lot of running. Like these things have some give and take. Right. And no matter what you decide to do to make these improvements in your off season, if you're shifting one way to make that improvement, there's going to be some give and take. You're not going to you're not going to have it all feel like it's firing on all cylinders while you're doing this stuff. That's expected. And I think mentally people need to come to terms with that and just go, hey, I'm doing something important right now for the big picture long term progression towards next year. Yeah, that, that reminds me of my, my favorite question I get as an athlete is, you know, what's your favorite sport? And my answer is always the same. It's like, well, it depends on what I'm doing well, right? If I'm swimming well, then yeah, I love swimming. And if I'm riding well, then sure, yeah, let's go on a ride. Um, so yeah, it's, it's easy to kind of love what, and, and I think that, you know, that's, you know, maybe the approach you need to embrace here is like, you know, you're going to do one thing well right now and you'll put it all together later on. And yeah, that the lifting is kind of like, you know, it's exactly the opposite of when your people are lifting during the season, right? It's like during the season, if people get sore from lifting and they're kind of their key sessions are being affected by that, then we have that opposite conversation of like, hey, your lifting right now is supposed to be supporting your workouts, right? It makes supposed to make you feel better. And if, if it's affecting them, then you're you're lifting too heavy, doing too many reps, whatever it is. But right now we're at that opposite inflection point, right? Where hey, maybe your lifting is the important thing and there are no key bike sessions right now. There might be some slightly harder sessions or whatever it is, but the lifting is now the key session. So if it gets in the way of the other sessions, great. That means you're doing it right. Like that's like, you know, whereas during the year you want your key swim bike run to get in the way of your lifting inverse relationship right now where, hey, that's a good thing. That means you are putting on some lean muscle mass and this is going to make you stronger when you go to ride your bike and make, you know, hit those key sessions later on in the year. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I do want to talk about the bike a little bit, even though, like you said, I do think, you know, for people in the Northern hemisphere where it's cold, where riding outside is a little bit trickier. You know, I think that there are still some gains you can make and you just need to figure out kind of where you're, where you're at, um, where you need to make improvements. Like if you're in Arizona, you can say, Hey, like I'm endurance is a weakness and I can go ride my bike. You know, like you said, for 
you know, whatever, 300 miles a week. Whereas for me, that might be a little bit tricky right now, but uh, you know, as, as is clear by the gray hairs poking out of my beard, um, I, I am getting a little older. And so one of the things I need to like, make sure I'm working on is, is like my force production and my being able to, you know, push on the pedals hard and have like high force capacity, even some sprint work, some like neuromuscular stuff like that. Whereas like, you know, my, my baseline endurance aerobic fitness is probably pretty good. because I've been riding my bike for a long time, but you know, I'm starting to go down in, in that like ability to, to create force. And, you know, I'm combining that with some lifting and making sure I'm doing some more of that. But there, there are definitely some things like that, that you can say, Hey, I can only ride inside, but maybe I can do three hard bike workouts a week inside, or like I can ride my mountain bike and I can rip some hills or something like that, or like come to a standstill and then do some, some stomps for, you know, five seconds working on some really high power stuff um, that maybe I wouldn't, you know, during the season, let's say I've got to focus on like Ironman or 70.3 or like threshold type work here. I can say, Hey, like I'll, let's even go above VO2 and see what I can do for, you know, two to 15 seconds and, and really focus on that. And, you know, again, something that doesn't really look like it's going to correlate well to Ironman training or Swissman training when I'm be out there for 15 hours. Um, but, you know, if I'm kind of shifting my, um, you know, my tables and as far as my, my, well, my profile, you know, what I'm trying to say, um, I, that'll, that'll kind of help me in the long run. I'm drawing it for you. Can't you see? Yeah. Yeah. You know, no one can see what you're drawing. I can see it, but yeah. No, you're, you're hundred percent right there. I mean, the, one of the staples in my programs for people this time of year is, I mean, obviously it depends on the athlete and stuff, but let's just talk broad, broad paintbrush here is that the, the, yeah, the one, you know, I do have a lot of people do, um, high turnover at light load. So, uh, you know, that leg speed, neuromuscular development and, and, you know, pedal efficiency and being able to, you know, pedal, most triathletes are going to be really comfortable in that 80 to 90 RPM range. A lot of them, it's even lower. It's like 75 to 85. That's sort of where they settle in. So no load, obviously it's just really, really light gear, but be able to turn over the pedals quickly. And that actually has a positive impact on the run as well. You know, just neuromuscular recruitment and quickness overall can develop it on the bike, get more efficient on the bike, being able to turn over quickly but it transfers over to the run as well. So I do a lot of that stuff, you know, it's a, and it's a quick session. You can get a lot of work done on that in 20 minutes. So it's maybe a 45 minute trainer session, 20 minutes worth of work, but has a really, really high impact on the, on the athlete. And then exactly what you're talking about, those really short, hard efforts. And, and then, you know, the, the big gear, the sport specific strength training. So all of those, you know, they, they are foundation type work for an indoor person that is then later on going to expand out to their more sports, you know, to more specific triathlon class training and towards their event, whether it be, you know, the long repeats and those kinds of things that we've got to get into in the race season. But this is, you know, we wouldn't be doing six, six times 80 seconds all out for an Ironman, right? But now we can be doing that and trying to really increase that anaerobic capacity and and being able to, like you say, you know, sprint, bring that anaerobic work up a little bit. And so it's, and it's, it's been around forever, right? There's a few years ago, people was a big conversation about reverse periodization, that kind of stuff. And so you can, 
with all this stuff, there's a million terms out there that they change how you say it and what you say, but it's all, you know, it's kind of like tempo zone three sweet spot. It's all the same thing, right? That's the exact same. If you do a, in the lab and you do a lactate test and where that curve is, that's, that's whatever term you use, that's what it is that you're working. So, so yeah, as far as, as far as whether you call it reverse periodization or, or whatever, but this year, this time of year, if you are on the trainer, there is these opportunities to work these foundation pieces from the opposite end, right? Your, your sprint tech, your ability to sprint, your anaerobic capacity, your neuromuscular quickness, your sport specific strength, all of those things combined with a little bit of tempo work or zone three, whatever you want to call it. And, and those kinds of things are, or if you're, you know, cause you might not be able to get out for a long ride. So that's going to produce the same amount of uh, training effect. So, you know, the, there's some, some gains to be made there. And if you're, if you're swimming a lot and you're running a lot and you're, you're lifting as well, and you're doing those sessions on the bike, chances are you're going to make some pretty good improvements through this time of year. Yeah. When I, I had the opportunity to keep, teach um, character classes for a while and it, it really opened my eyes to how much room for improvement most triathletes had on those spin-ups as far as like what their max cadence could be or max cadence they could hold like 10, 20, 30, 40 a minute like that. Yeah. That ability to spin quickly for any length of time was, um, was not a strength of a lot of triathletes. And that was, yeah, a good lesson learned to, to see that, you know, there is some really good improvements to be made. And, and I think it is, yeah, a really good skill and it does have really good carryover. So, you know, if you don't have a coach and you've never done this before, I think now it's a really good time of year to, to see what you can do. And, and then like, see if, you know, if you can get to the point where you can comfortably spin over 120 for, for 30 seconds and, and not feel like you're just kind of like a ping, a ping pong ball pinging around where you're actually like, you know, putting pressure on the pedals. Um, yeah. yeah and the, I, the more advanced riders, you can do it on the rollers. You know, if you're looking for more <laughs> of a challenge and you get to a point where you're like, okay, well, I'm indoors by a set of rollers. And can you ride for 20 minutes at 115 RPMs on rollers? That's going to make a, Ooh. that's going to make a difference. I, I do that session once a week. That's my, that's my Monday or Friday session where I jump on the rollers for 45 minutes for 20 minutes. I try and hold my RPMs in a really light gear at, and so basically my Watts are like zone one, zone two, if you want to give it an effort level and my RPMs are 115 and I got to hold it for 20 minutes. And I have a lot of my athletes do that session. And, and that's, that's actually a lot harder than what it sounds like. Um, so I don't know. I think it sounds pretty hard. <laughs> Yeah, most people start around 100 and then they get up to 105 and then 110 and then we build uh, ideally you get up to where you're doing it at like 115. So so yeah, that's it, it it does. It has a it has a massive impact. That's awesome. That's a good one. I am not going to buy rollers anytime soon to try it, but it sounds <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> Maybe when I'm in Tucson I can jump on yours and we can see, yeah, that'll see be, how that'll long be I can my last. session today. That's the that's the session today. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. And if people are wondering about that stuff, you know, I have a couple, I have a YouTube channel, you can kind of look it up and I've got both the sports specific strength and the high turnover session, little demos in there and you coach you through it. So if you're, if you're listening to us and you're totally wondering what those even look like and need a little bit of guidance, you can find some more guidance there on, on my YouTube channel. Awesome. Very cool. Um, and yeah, I guess just to touch on the run a little bit, I know we talked about it a little bit throughout the podcast, but um, just to bring it home here and um, you do your run challenge where people do kind of the same thing that we've kind of talked about in swimming the bike where you're basically working on increasing that frequency, right? 
Yeah, you know, the thing is, the run's the most risky. So there's, running is the, it's the hardest, it's the trickiest one because it's the one where we can get injured the easiest, right? And for most, there are, there are this triathletes out there that are just bomb proof and they're never going to get injured running. But that's, that's not the majority. That's the, I feel like that's the lucky ones. The majority running is the place that we're going to get injured. So it's the place, if you're going to do block training, you have to be the most careful and it has to be thought out really well. And I think that what works has been, has been proven. I've known for, you know, it started way back when, uh, with the endurance corner crowd, we, we did the 30 day, you know, run 30 days straight, Scott Molina and, uh, Jeff, he, they, they, they came up with this run 30 days straight and see what kind of impact it has. But the, the idea is that it has to be done at the right effort. I mean, you can't go out and run, you know, really hard every single day for 30 days in a row. And so if you're, and, and it has to be done, you know, rotating your shoes on the right surfaces, maybe you mix it up between dirt and road and making sure that you're not always running on the exact same loop because there's cambers in the road and repetition type stuff. So mixing up the terrain, mixing up your shoes, mixing up, um, you know, the surfaces, these kinds of things, and then keeping the intensity at an intensity that you know you can back up every single day for 30 days. And that might mean walking some of them. So you might do a 20 minute walk one day and then a 40 minute jog the next day and then a 30 minute walk the next day. So you know, you're making sure that you really know you can back it up and come out of it stronger, stronger tendons and ligaments, stronger foundation, a little lower aerobic heart rate for the same effort. That's the goals at the end of a run block. We don't need to come out of the run block you know, where we're, you know, hitting all time max speeds, certainly some turnovers on the treadmill, some hill repetitions, those kinds of things are good to put in a run block. But for the most part, it's really about just getting through it more durable and with a bigger aerobic base and not getting, you know, improving your, the, the improving your injury durability for the season is probably the biggest impact I see by doing that. And if it's done right and, and, and done right is what, what I'm talking about there is that you go in with the mentality, can I back this up for 30 days? And if that means jogging very slowly with only a few strides here and there or walking some of the sessions, that's okay. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think that's great. And yeah, I think, uh, you know, I also, if I'm doing something like that. I always take, take the long run basically out or if there is any sort of long run, this is like the one of the few times where I'd be an advocate of the the walk or the hike or the walk run or run walk. Uh, you know, I don't use those very often, but I think it's something like this. If you're backing up a lot of running where you could say, hey, this is a good place to kind of give yourself a little bit of a breather on those. Even if it's only like, even if one be considered a long run for you, say it's like an hour run and you can go for, you know, you're you've gone for plenty of 90 minute runs, but something like that, where it's like, maybe right now you're going to do your hour run is three by 20 minutes just to give it, give your body a chance to make sure you're feeling okay. And you're, everything is, uh, yeah, is moving, moving really well. And yeah, the, and the run challenge, we don't, we don't run any long runs at all. They're all nice. you know, got some turnovers, some hill reps, obviously the frequency, some strides and drills and that kind of stuff. But absolutely. Yeah. You, the, the whole goal is to, to run the 30 days straight. Well, it's 25 days. It's um, from December 1st to Christmas day. So 25 days nice. straight, but certainly no big long runs, no real focus on, 
you know, lifetime PRs or anything like that. In fact, you're going to go through so many peaks and valleys when you do these blocks, you know, whether it's a swim block or, you know, lifting or a, a run block, especially running, like we, like I was saying, running has the most, it's got the heaviest load to it as far as you, you know, you're going to feel fatigue from it. Um, you're going to really feel it on the, feel it on the other stuff. You're going to have more soreness probably in your, in your joints, your feet, that kind of stuff. And that's all, that's all good. Those are all maybe, those are all good things that we're trying to increase your strength and durability and be able to handle that. But you're going to feel that a lot more than maybe if you do, or you're doing a swim block, you're going to feel really tired and hungry, but you're not necessarily going to be super sore. You might be a little bit sore, but not super sore running. You're going to feel that a little more. And like I say, it's, you got to be so specific about how you go about it with intensity and durations so that you don't get injured from it and you actually get better from it. And the other thing I, I'd like to really advocate when people are doing a run block is it is a great time to kind of ingrain a warm up routine before you run. I know a lot of triathletes aren't the best at that. I mean, honestly, myself included, especially when you've got to have to get out the door early or whatever it is, short time window, just kind of get up and run. But during this time, like you're talking about, usually the runs are a little bit shorter. So you you can say, hey, I've got like five minutes or 10 minutes before I run to really kind of hone in on a warm-up routine that's repeatable and that works really well for you. Um, yeah, so that's another thing I kind of like to make sure athletes are trying to stay on top of when they're doing a run block. Um, yeah, running yeah. for shorter times, easier to kind of squeeze that in together. Yeah. And this time of year, you know, you can include those things like agility ladder drills, strides on the grass in your bare feet. If you uh, know how to do some of those track drills where you're doing your ABCs, those kind of things, you know, that makes a big difference. It's, a, it's similar to the neuromuscular high RPM session that we're talking about on the bike. Those are going to have a big impact overall. So you're increasing the frequency, you're increasing in the volume, but you're, you're adding these drills in and strides in and, and doing, if you've got like a nice soccer field that you have access to, you can flick off your shoes at the end or at the start and, and do those drills in your socks, do some nice little strides in your socks. And, um, you know, that's going to have a really positive impact overall on your running little things. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Even, even if you're not great at it, I think, you know, that's the only way you get better, right? Like yeah. most people don't pop out on the soccer field and start doing ABCs and, and look like the YouTube videos. <laughs> it, it it takes a while to kind of develop that coordination. And, and, you know, I've seen some people that kind of like try once, like, oh, it's not for me. And yeah, so you kind of have to learn how to do it. And I, um, you know, I've actually been doing a lot more drills than I've ever done with the team I've been working with. And, and I'm actually getting better at it, which makes sense. But, you know, when I started out, they're all laughing at me now and I, I can actually, uh, you know, go through, go through all the rounds. <laughs> nice. um, and yeah, good way to increase some coordination. Very cool. Um, well, I think, awesome. you know, Given some people some really good food for thought as far as, you know, we talk a lot about off season and how to structure the season and, you know, going into the holidays here, it, you know, obviously you want to focus on your family, invest some time and energy into some other areas of your life. But hopefully this gives people some ideas on how to stay, you know, a, connected to their goals and what to focus on, or if they're looking, if they've got some, some people have some extra time on their hands through the holidays, they're off work and they're looking for, you know, what can I do 
productively with this time. So hopefully you've given some people some ideas and some thoughts and, you know, all different kinds of options to to tackle what they might do in the off season and, and how they might look at things. And, and even just mentally how, if they're already, if all that's taken care of for you by a coach and you've got your plan and we know that that's what you're doing and you're struggling with some things mentally, hopefully we've given you a little bit of food for thought on how to, how to mentally be looking at things through this time of year. Yeah, I like it. Um, Well, yeah, thank you for your time, Marilyn. Awesome. Thanks, Jesse. Great conversation.